This is Ashling Clark, director of The Devil's Doorway, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. podcast where we are dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 191 and it's brought to you by our movie podcast network patrons and by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. Usually on Horror Movie Podcasts, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, and my two shitar-worshipping co-hosts are... It'll make sense later. Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. A Wolfman Josh. Now this car is getting a lot of action. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a quote from the movie you'll be covering. It is. Okay, yeah. good. good. I, I, there were so many from the movie I'm covering that I, I would not have been able to pick one. <laughs> I know. I I almost went with a Blood Diner quote because it's so chock full of oh, great quotes. Th- there are a lot of, it's very quotable. There's some doozies. This February is the 11th annual Women in Horror Month. So, Horror Movie Podcast is honoring the women who work in our favorite genre. Now, to do this, we are going to cover three Women in Horror Month-inspired feature reviews. We have one for Blood Diner, 1987, XX, 2017, and The Being, from 1983. All right, so we have talked about this subject a lot in the past. Uh, or black, go back to our Black Christmas episode or last year's uh, Women in Horror Month episode to check that stuff out. So we decided to, instead of having an in-depth theme discussion right now, we're going to jump right in to our feature reviews. And our first feature review is for Blood Diner from 1987. Ah, hello, fellow food lovers. I'm Phil Mignon, world-famous gourmet. In my travels, I've sampled some of the most exquisite foods the world has to offer. That's why they've asked me to tell you all about a charming new eatery located right downtown. As um, you can see, the atmosphere is lovely. But, of course, the uh, finest attribute of this quaint cafe is the marvelous cuisine by the way what is a special ingredient in the tuesday surprise well if i told you that it wouldn't be a surprise anymore would it they're um, <clears throat> mouth-watering specialties will have you as they say licking your lips uh, only the freshest natural ingredients are selected 
The first ingredients we need are two stomachs from a couple of trams. For use in their carefully guarded <clears throat> recipes. I'd give my right arm for that secret recipe. Uh, yes, the chef puts a bit of himself into every succulent dish. Oh, and he's always pleased to serve you to your friends. Uh, sh shouldn't that be serve you and your friends? Uh, no. Uh, your gracious hostess will direct you to your table. Where you will dine as if there's no tomorrow. So, breeze on down and don't let anything stand in your way. So, this is Phil Mignon. Ah, saying bon appetit. Oh, mommy. The Blood Diner. First they greet you, then they eat you. No one under 17 admitted. All right. Blood Diner, 1987. A movie whose video box and poster I love, 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 and remember seeing on the shelf, but never picked up. It is directed by Jackie Kong and written by Michael, and I could be saying this wrong, very possible, Sonye. It's S O N Y E. And. <laughs> Um, Imdaba, two cannibals slash health food diner owners are on a wacky quest to restore life to the five million year old goddess Shitar. Aided by their uncle's brain and penis, the two set about getting the required parts, virgins, assorted body parts from whores, and the ingredients for a blood buffet. Their adversaries are the police, the chief with a Russian accent, the quote unquote player detective and the new yorker with an australian accent uh was written by one eric swanson and i feel like i don't even need to review this i'm done you guys get it <laughs> so yeah blood diner i had never seen this movie oh interesting yeah i'd never seen it i always kind of wanted to because i was just kind of fascinated by the i do remember this video box specifically uh at the video store i remember frequenting for a lot of my horror fixings but for whatever reason i never got it and i actually confessed something earlier to dave before we recorded josh before you got on that i have never seen a single in its entirety i've seen clips from a lot of them but i've never seen from beginning to end a single herschel gordon lewis movie which i realize this is somewhat of a pseudo remake kind of want to be blood feast uh, blood feast exactly yeah so uh after reading about blood feast i'm like oh yeah totally i can see it although it's funny because reading the synopsis for blood feast it makes a heck of a lot more sense than even this does <laughs> which is probably saying something so i also feel that after watching blood diner I feel like a movie like this is basically critic proof because, yes, you could go into this whole thing about comparing it to the history of horror cinema or even specifically kind of gore camp cinema. But why? You either like this kind of movie or you hate this kind of movie. I guess there could be somebody in between. <laughs> I almost got to think I might be in between, but I don't think the vast majority of people if you do not like herschel gordon lewis movies if you do not like hyper campy super satirical parody riddled horror movies you will not like blood diner absolutely and i have so i have two ratings as a result i feel like this movie has two ratings one for the person who absolutely loves finding that especially 80s era cult camp just over the top wacky kind of movie mm -hmm. for those people 
This is your ticket. The other people, <laughs> the ones who are quote unquote dead serious about horror. <laughs> I've seen it. Uh, it's it has been a few years, and there have been many movies in between it. But I have seen Blood Diner. Okay, and it is. It's almost like a, it's, it's a remake of Blood Feast. Yeah, is what it is. Yeah, and, and would do you feel like my assessment is accurate that somebody's either going to? Oh yes, and it's the same. Like even with Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. Yeah, you know Herschel Gordon Lewis himself had said, "I told you this quote, uh, Joe, and I'm sure I've said this before on I'm I." on this podcast that Herschel Gordon Lewis in the documentary, um, Herschel Gordon Lewis, the Godfather of Gore said that my movies, and I think he even said blood feast in particular is a lot like a Walt Whitman poem. They're no good, but they were the first of their kind. <laughs> and that's really what, you know, blood feast is. I mean, they're, they're, none of his movies would be considered good movies. Yeah. I mean, but they had that special something, that campiness, that and the gore, you know, that that was what drew people in and made them, uh, you know, huge successes and so inspirational to a lot of people. And I think you're right that you, you, this is the type of movie that, you know, you can read 100 reviews on it, 50 positive, 50 negative. But it doesn't make, you know, you could read a 99 positive. If you're not going to like this kind of movie, you're not going to like it. You could read 99 negative and you could watch the movie and say, wow, I absolutely love that because mm -hmm. I love the camp. I love that sort of stuff. And I think you know where I fall in this whole thing. But <laughs> it's it's one of those ones. You're right. It is sort of critic proof. You could pick holes in it. You could do all this stuff. But sure. people who love it are going to love it anyway. Yeah. And I feel like there are like when it starts. I, I've seen Troll 2 several times. I have only ever watched like clips of the room because I just can't do that to myself to sit from beginning to end through that thing. I've tried. I just can't. Right. But I felt like there was some, especially at the beginning of the movie, the lines and the delivery of them. It almost mm -hmm. felt like <laughs> scenes in the room that I've seen, except right. the people making this movie. I think Jackie Kong in particular, the director that sh she was in on the joke and mm -hmm. self-aware enough and like there, there was an intentionality behind it whereas something like oh, the yeah. room where the way the lines are delivered and everything is just so and it never go like it feels like it doesn't go anywhere and it's just completely nonsensical uh, this right right also exactly. feels like that yet it kind of makes sense in its own absurdist way i think that's what, mm -hmm. this is like absurd cinema this is this is a absurdist surrealist <laughs> take like, right this on is, gore this films is this is plan nine from outer space. If Ed Wood knew exactly what he was doing Bingo. and wanted to do it. Bingo. Wanted to, wanted yes. To, that's yes. what he wanted to execute. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's why Herschel Gordon movies work for the people they work for, because I right. think it's a similar thing where they're obviously hyper gory and over the top and campy and everything else. But there is this sense that for the most part, the people working on it at least had a, had a sense of what they were doing and where they were going. Or there is a point and, and there is a sense of the story moving forward for, you know, whereas a lot of movies that would probably fall into the category along with Blood Diner, they don't feel that way. You're like, this is just disjointed nonsense. There actually does feel like there is, it's going somewhere. But again, yeah. I think it's totally intentional, honestly. And like, I think you can tell a real bad movie. Most bad movies are just, boring and bland not well executed flat writing bad boring characters this movie's the opposite of that it's a it's bad in a lot of kind of standard measurable ways but it's so over the top and in your face and the lines are just it's a very an extreme experience yes yeah
And I th- that can't be accidental. I don't think. No, I d- it does. That's what it is. It if it was, it was a very happy accident because there were a couple of moments in the movie where things felt designed in such a way and, and were so intentional. I, I without giving anything away because goodness knows I don't want to spoil Blood Diner for anybody out there. Uh, but there's uh, a seed which by probably even those standards is so over the top and extreme in its nudity and violence. And, uh, and I, I think today, if you put that scene in a movie, you would be, you know, run out on a rail, but even Bobby by 1987 standards, people were like, well, what am, what am I watching right now? But it involves somebody in a presidential mask that, would have been very apropos in 1987. So, uh, but I mean, that to me was a very intentional social commentary at the, you know, from that point of view. And there's other things like that throughout the movie where I'm like, okay, look, this feels at this point, like they're intentionally satirizing the times and the zeitgeist of what's going on. I mean, we consider 1987, the obvious, this whole idea of health, food and vegetarianism. But of course they're actually all cannibals. And I mean, there's, there's so many things going on that unless everybody was extraordinarily high, which again, 1987, very possible, <laughs> or they were intentionally satirizing and doing a parody of a lot of the other slasher gore films of the time period, which is what I think this movie was trying to do. I don't have hardcore evidence of that. I actually looked up a few interviews with Jackie Kong and most of them were of the fan Q&A, you know, mm. kind of variety. And I didn't get deep enough into any of them to, and I don't, I, did you say you had this on Blu-ray, Dave? Oh, yes, absolutely. Do you know if there's a commentary? Because I would actually love a commentary with this. From uh, her. You know what? It's a, it is a special, let me look it up. I'm not okay. 100% Whenever sure. Whenever you get a chance, I yeah. To it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'll t- let me check it out. Yeah, that would be, by, by the way, kids, that's called, uh, Joel didn't do his uh, homework before. <laughs> before the show so uh, but one thing i did do my homework on and being that this is our women in horror month show i do want to address something that led me to picking blood diner so i was telling dave uh, earlier that i actually got a book for christmas um from one of my kids because it was on my uh, my wish list called regional horror films 1958 to 1990 a state-by-state guide with interviews by brian albright uh, and if you've seen it probably on amazon it's got uh, the basically the entire cover is the original evil dead poster with the woman reaching up out of the ground and and that kind of thing so um i love it i'm about a third of the way through it and he had it's like an encyclopedia of all these regional horror films of which i am just a very big fan of that i remember in late 80s early 90s and fango reading the notes from the underground stuff and they would interview guys like tim ritter and joel weinkoop who have had a retro movie geek and uh, ron bonk and jr bookwalter did the dead next door all those kinds of just DIY down and dirty kind of horror flicks. I always have just been fascinated by that. It's almost, I guess you call it a subculture. I mean, there's just something about it. Right. And I, I got this book. It was reading through it. And I was thinking, Oh, how cool would it be if I could find the movie that I'm going to cover? Cause you know, we, we all agreed we were intentionally trying to find one that had been directed at the very least by a woman. And I went through this book and I, and this seems pretty comprehensive. Like I get the vibe that, the author did a lot of work in trying to find as many regional horror films from that specific era that they could that uh, that, you know, were available, at least in some capacity to be known about. Um, other than 
Roberta, I believe her name is Finley. Correct me if I'm wrong on that day, but I believe it's Roberta Finley. I know she was involved with, uh, it was a Shriek of the Mutilated and and, and a couple other uh, very low-budge things. Other than her and Doris Wishman, who's a, who's right, a known... Doris. Doris Wishman is the one I'm I'm more familiar yeah. with. Yeah. So, but other than those two, I looked through almost every single movie that he's got listed out here in, in what is essentially an encyclopedia of regional horror films, state by state. And those are the only two women I could come across. And I, and, oh, wow. and, I, and I think it drives home a bigger point, which is obviously Hollywood had systemic and still does issues when it comes to this kind of thing. But we're talking regional meaning DIY, you know, you didn't need permission in a sense, but yet culturally, maybe there was a sense that they did. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there as an idea and as a concept that I found it very disheartening because I was I was so excited to find some like diamond in the rough, kind of like what we do with Mirror Mirror last year. Like I felt like that was one of those right. movies that yeah, a handful of people had heard of it, but I had never seen it myself and seeing it, I was so excited by it that I was hoping to find something like that. Maybe, but even more right. low budge and more unknown. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a one. Now, it could be the author, you know, maybe didn't go as deep as I think he did, but it does seem like he pretty much got, I mean, there's a ton from, you know, certain states like Florida. He found ones I've never even heard of. Um, but none of them, man. I mean, other than those two uh, directors, Doris Wishman and Roberta Finley, I mean, there was like virtually nothing. Now, maybe mm-hmm. but as I get to the later part of the book, I'll find something else. But I say all that to say i ended up you know google searching you know horror movies from the 80s directed by women and i would get lists that were very sparse and they were all a lot of the usual suspects near dark pet cemetery yada yada but then i had one that was like 30 some odd titles i think it was through imdb somebody put it together and there were four movies specifically that jumped out at me that i thought okay i want to cover these one was blood diner the other was, I believe it's Office Killer, the one with Carol Kane. And I started that one and I was kind of like, yeah, we really wasn't feeling it, feeling it. I do need to finish it. But that aside, I'll set that aside for a second. And then it was, um, I believe, A Night to Dismember, which is a Doris Wishman movie. And mm-hmm. then there was a, oh, A Boxing Elena, which I really do want to cover at some point, being that it's David Lynch's daughter. And uh, mm-hmm. and it just, it's a kind of a really disturbing, fascinating idea that, I would love to cover, but it's kind of like one of those movies I feel like you kind of got to be in the mood for. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look it up. <laughs> I don't, I, and, I don't totally. even, and I don't know if you could get in the mood for that. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so that, so I was like, okay, well maybe not, but here's the thing that was even more disheartening to me. I start searching on, on Amazon. I think, okay, I'll find one of these. I'm sure it's here somewhere. None of these were available. Blood wow. Diner was the only one, but I found that so disheartening now, i don't think there's some conspiracy or some agenda but i'm like for the love of god <laughs> why are <laughs> i had to like to watch office killer youtube that was the only place i could find that that's crazy wow. but then you know we live in a world with um a lot of previously hard to find titles are now available on blu-ray you know i mean it's it's not unthinkable that you'd be able to find all those films i just right. found it very discouraging that we're prepping to do our women in horror episode oh no, yeah and absolutely. i can't find a freaking movie i mean what and right. of the ones i want to see which is makes it right. doubly funny that you and i both ended up you know, covering a movie that was directed by the same director. <laughs> the same director. Yeah. I know. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, it is the 11th annual Women in Horror Month. It's also Black History Month. And so I thought, oh, I'll do a film by a black woman 
horror director. That'll be fun. Kind of two for one there. And I could not find one to. Yeah. I went to, you know, our friend Ashley Blackwell, who was one of our guests last year. Yeah where we covered horror noir and, and Jordan Peele's us, she runs the w- website graveyard shift sisters. And so uh, it's a great resource for a lot of stuff like this. Um, and so I went and checked it out. Her top post was 28 black women, horror filmmakers. And I thought that's awesome. 28 black women, horror filmmakers. I'll flip through here. I'll find a director I like, and I'll go and I'll go watch it. And I went and I looked at every, not maybe not every single one of them, but I looked at a lot of them at least three fourths of them. And they were all just short films. Hmm. None of them were feature films. It's just like, wow, that's kind of crazy that we live in a world where there's 28 women who want to be directing horror films. Yeah. And you know, and even with Blumhouse with their uh, television series into the dark, they pick a lot of these lesser known directors who mm-hmm. have just done shorts and stuff and give them the opportunity to direct something feature length for their series. But still, yeah, none of these women, and, and some of them really well-known women, actually, from other walks of life, like academics or, sure. or playwrights or whatever, but for whatever reason, haven't had an opportunity to direct a feature-length film. Well, I just have to admit that for me, I just took it for granted. I assumed there would be stuff, maybe stuff that hadn't mm-hmm. been championed, maybe stuff that hadn't been, you know, put at the, the forefront, like a lot of the stuff made by guys, but... I mean, I I mean, you know, it is what it is. I'm like looking for stuff and it ain't there, you know, and I think that's a shame and really because it's and it really comes down to it's I'm not trying to get on a soapbox or anything like that. I just feel like different perspectives make for a much more interesting cinematic experience and there are different perspectives to be had. I mean, I think it's fascinating. Blood Diner, you know, being uh, directed by uh, by Jackie Kong, because when you watch that movie, if you didn't know who directed it. It plays very misogynistic, homophobic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it. but again, it's, oh, and I mean, and maybe this is a bias in my own head and is a form of sexism in and of itself for me to say this, but I felt like as soon as I knew a woman directed it, I kind of thought, I wonder if that she's, I wonder if it's satire. Like, I wonder if she's doing this intentionally. Now, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. She, she might just be going, you have to also put yourself in the place of a young woman making movies in 1987. Sure. And with the end of the slasher era. Yes. You know, a lot of this stuff is ingrained probably in her psyche in terms of like, you know, what goes into a horror film. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of expectations on the audience end of what you would want to see in a horror film in that era. And so I, I had, I found the same thing with the bean and I'll get into that in my review, but, um, you know, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of boobs in this movie. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I think like, but it's so over the top that I ha- I let, I almost went, it went so extreme in some moments. Yeah. Like, what was it? The nude aerobic cheerleading <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like, it's so ridiculously over the, you kind of have to go, you know, this feels satirical. Like, this feels, yeah. like, it's the Jonathan Swift, uh, I'm, I'm brain farting on the name of the essay, but the one about, like, you know, eating the, the poor or whatever, you know, like, where it's so extreme in yeah. its depiction of something, you've got to assume that it's that. Some people just don't care, and or that's what they like, and that's fine too. But I was like, oh, maybe she's attracted to women, you know. But now she's been married to two men, and I was like, man, what is this? Is interesting. It's just interesting mm. choices, not what I would have expected. I yeah. guess. So, yeah. And 
to your point, it's not just kind of what we would see as misogynistic. Also, tons of racist stuff. She's a Chinese American, and yeah. there's a lot of racist content. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I almost movie. wonder. You almost have to feel like now it was written by a guy. <laughs> All right, let's just say right. that. But yeah. she is the director. Obviously, I'm assuming had some say in things that were going on and happening. That's why, again, I would really love to have heard the commentary for this thing. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to go off on the tangent, but all that to say, Blood Diner is a movie (laughs) that you either will really enjoy because, as Josh said, it is entertaining. Like, that is one thing you will not fault it for. It is uh, definitely will keep your attention. So for those people who love a good Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, who love camp, who love over the topness, who love all that stuff, who love things that ooze 80s, who love giant... um, Cronenbergian vaginal slits in people's stomachs with teeth. Um, If that is your jam, this is an 8.5 for you and you absolutely should rent if not buy it. Like, I think you will love it. Yeah. Yeah. I would really love to hear her commentary. Well, according to Dread Central, which is where I'm looking at it, there's also a five part mini documentary on here, but it says a great commentary with a truly excited Jackie Kong. nice yeah that's very cool well and also uh one of the things i did watch she said that i guess fangoria films or their 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 film branch that that's been making movies were in talks with her at the time of that recording which i guess was like february of 2019 that they were trying to put something together with her that would be amazing so that would be fantastic so it is an 8.5 for people who love all the movies i laid out for you uh if you do not love movies like that or like this, potentially, I would say it's probably in the closer to the 3.5 range. You really should probably right. avoid it at any and all costs. I, oddly enough, probably fall somewhere in between, which is probably not the norm. I feel like it's going to be one extreme or the other for most people. Um, I probably would be in more like the 6.5 range because I really appreciated the wackiness of it. <laughs> like, really appreciated it. And there were some things in it I actually liked quite a bit. I just don't see myself other than the behind the scenes stuff and the commentary and things like that. I don't know that I'd ever want to really revisit this movie per se. Um, Cause I, it wasn't like it caught me in such a way that I was like, Oh, it was, I got to watch this again. It wasn't like that. It was, it, but oddly I'm just more fascinated to know what uh, Kong's, ideas were you know and what the intentions were behind these things i feel like it'll either give a whole other layer to everything or to be like oh no this was just totally exactly what it was meant to be (laughs) right and there's no surprise so i just want to i want an answer to that question that's like a burning question i have so uh but yeah that is my feature review for blood diner from 1987 and now we have dave's feature review of XX from 2017. What's in the box? Present. Can I see? Danny, stop being so nosy. It's okay. I don't think anyone's been up here in a really long time. Maybe it's cursed. Your son tore my daughter's fingernails off. You're not going to punish him? Listen, you gotta eat something. It's been three days, buddy. Not hungry. Something's happening to Andy. (gasps) Something just terrible. If you don't eat, eventually you'll die. So? 
All right. XX is a horror anthology uh, written and directed by women, by, uh, by female filmmakers. And there is a framing sequence by uh, Sophia Carrillo. And it's a, it's a stop motion animation. Uh, what it is, is it's like a dismembered doll and a dollhouse that has somehow come to life. It's really kind of creepy because it does take place it, it like it's set in what looks like an actual location, but you see this dollhouse just sort of moving around and it, it captures a fly and there's an apple as a beating heart. And, and, and as I said, it's the framing sequence. It pops up in between the other short films, but it is in and of itself, you know, disturbing enough. Uh, when, then we get into the other four movies. The first one is The Box, written and directed by Jovanka Vukovic. And it's based on a short story by Jack Ketchum, actually. Uh, and just the, the basic idea is there's a mother and her two young children. Uh, they're on a train coming back from, you know, having been out for the day. Uh, her young son, Danny, sees this old guy with a red box wrapped up like a Christmas present. And he's, that's what he says it is. It's a present because Danny says, hey, what's in the box? He goes, a present. And Danny says, what's in it? And the mother and, and the older sister are like, you know, Danny, mind your own business. Leave this guy alone. He's, what's you know, the box? So, what's in the box? Yeah. Right, what's yeah. No, it's not quite to that Brad Pitt level. Um, but we must assume that what is in the box, because the old man says, it's okay. And he shows Danny what's in the box. Danny's face suddenly is, is drawn. He, he has clearly seen something that has bothered him, but they go home and they're sitting at the dinner table. Danny's not hungry. He says, you know, I'm, I'd really rather not. Uh, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. And the father and mother are okay. Well, Danny doesn't eat breakfast. He doesn't eat his lunch that they send him to school with. And at dinner the next night, he says, I'm not hungry. And the father's like, are you feeling okay? And the father and the mother are talking later. And, and maybe we should take him to the doctor. The mother's like, oh, it's... What, what's the point, doctor? You know, he, if he has the flu, the doctor can't help. But, he, you know, he's just not hungry. You know, sometimes, you know, his kids get in the mood. Danny doesn't eat the next day. He doesn't eat the next day. They decide to go to the doctor. The doctor's like, well, why didn't you come to me sooner? Um, he's lost five pounds since his last checkup. This is not good that he's not eating. You know, he could be in trouble here. I think he needs to go to therapy. Well, that night... The mother overhears Danny talking to the older sister and she opens the door and she's like, what are you talking about? Nothing. Are, are you talking about why Danny's not eating? No. Well, the next day the daughter's not eating and she's not eating her lunch, her dinner, and it goes on and on. And now the parents are like really concerned. What is it? What is, what is happening here? And it isn't until later on when other things happen that the mother thinks the box might have had something to do with it. What this movie is, is it's sort of a mystery. The horror is in not knowing the answer to the mystery, obviously. But the movie isn't so much interested in solving the mystery, you know, this short film, as it is in just presenting the story. And it really does grip you. I, th I really did enjoy this movie because of that fact. You're kind of like, what the heck is going on here? What could have possibly been in that box that's tearing this family apart? That just box. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> right, right. That would have, that's what the mother was, would have been crying at the end when she finally makes this connection, <laughs> you know? What was in the box? Um, 
It's a good, it's a good short. It really is. And again, that was the one written and directed by uh, Jovanka Vukovic. Who went on to do Riot Girls last year, the sci-fi film. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I have that on my list to watch. I haven't seen Riot Girls yet. That's interesting. This has me uh, actually really curious as to what that movie is about. Um, the next one is The Birthday Party, written by Roxanne Benjamin and Annie Clark and directed by Annie Clark. Nice. Body of Brighton Rocks, Roxanne Benjamin. Yep. And this uh, stars uh, Melanie Linsky, who people will remember as the other girl in the Heavenly <laughs> oh, yeah. Creatures. Oh, I love that movie so yeah. much. I do too. I do. I too. think she is mm-hmm. fantastic. I love yeah. her and everything yeah, I've ever seen good. her in. And she's really good in this one. She's a mother uh, who is having a birthday party for her daughter Lucy. Her husband David is is away. You know, he's he's either on a business trip or something. And and the maid comes in, a very sort of strange maid. It kind of reminds me of the housekeeper from Rebecca in a way. You know, she's like, oh, I'm I'm sure your husband's home. I wonder if he's out for a walk. And the wife's like, no, I'd know if my husband was home. He's he's not home. Well, she goes into the back room and finds her husband sitting in a chair and just talking to him. So, oh, you did get back, only to realize her husband has died. He's sitting there dead in the chair. Well, instead of ruining her daughter's birthday party, she decides to hide the body until after the party and <laughs> deal with it after the party. <laughs> and let's just say hilarity ensues. Um, a singing panda is sent by someone for the daughter. And uh, the daughter doesn't see the singing panda. You know, um, the mother answers the door and says, I'll give you $1,000 for that uh, panda suit plus two ounces of medical marijuana that I was giving for my knee surgery last week. Well, of course, the guy takes it. She decides to put the father in the panda suit and let him join in with the party. (laughs) So this one is definitely more comedic. Of the four, I think it's the only one that sort of falls into the comedy realm and it's entertaining it is it, it's not too long and it's um and i think that uh melanie linsky gives a really strong performance and kind of holds the whole thing together so we just talked about roxanne benjamin i really like her she's um she's done an episode of riverdale she's done two episodes of creep show an episode of chilling adventures of sabrina mm-hmm. uh, and she's a producer on all of the vhs movies and oh. as well as the devil's candy and southbound so she's done a lot of cool stuff. We talked about her film Body of Brighton Rock. You were I don't think I've actually reviewed it. I don't think I'd seen it at the time you reviewed it, Dave, but you were no, a little, and you were a little disappointed by it. I was it. a little disappointed only from what the cover art promised. That well, that aspect of it, and it's more comedic at the beginning. The middle section of that film though was really strong. I agree. It I really, really is. A lot. I, I was a little underwhelmed by the film as well, but I it had a lot of potential and yeah. maybe she just needed a bigger budget or something. But I, I love Roxanne Benjamin. So I, I'm excited uh, to see what she does next. Well, actually it's interesting, Josh, because don't fall, which is the third entry in, in uh, XX was written and directed by Roxanne Benjamin. Oh, interesting. And it's about these four friends. They're out on an expedition in the desert. Uh, one of them is, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I thought that was the one you just did was you said that this one was Roxanne Benjamin. Well, no, Roxanne Benjamin wrote Birthday Party. It was directed by Annie Clark. Don't oh, Fall that's Don't Fall was written and directed by Roxanne Benjamin. So she oh. actually she actually helmed this one as well. Um, and it's it's four friends, Paul, Gretchen, Jess, and Jay. They're out on an expedition in the desert. Uh, Gretchen has a lot of fears. She's afraid of heights, and she's sort of the nervous one of the group. 
Well, they discover um, while Gretchen runs away, they were on the side of a cliff, and and um, you know one of the other ones, I think, is Jess, sort of says, "Oh, watch out!" and almost pushes her over, and she gets scared and runs down the hill. Well, they find this ancient cave painting, although it's not in a cave; it's more on the side of a cliff. But it would be you know so along the lines of something that has been there for you know hundreds of thousands of years, and it looks as if it's this. Uh, it's an evil spirit type of thing is, is what it is. You know, if, if you're looking at it the way it is that the, uh, the figures are, and then there's this huge figure right in the middle of it, almost uh, demonic in nature. Um, well, they're camping out in an RV for the night and Gretchen finds herself. She had hurt her hand and she finds herself sort of wandering out into the middle of nowhere and has a run in with a, what appears to be a creature. And, um, Let's just say that from that point on, it's a creature feature. Um, all of the characters uh, have a run-in with it, and it's a very, it's a very good creature feature. This is the shortest film, I think. I didn't time it, but it feels as if this is the shortest film in of all of them, and it gets to it, you know, pretty quickly. And the creature itself has a great look to it. And again, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it, but I, this is probably my favorite segment in the movie. Mm. And I, there's none of them that I disliked. I'm going to put that out of front because I got one more to discuss. I don't think any of them are bad. I don't, I don't even think any of them are mediocre. I think they're all good, no, wow. but this one is my strongest. Uh, this one I think is the strongest one, especially from a horror standpoint, because this one is, you know, whereas the, the other one, like birthday parties, more comedy, um, definitely psychological horror uh, with um, the box but Don't Fall is a straight-up sort of creature feature and done very well, I think. Um, uh, you know, it, I rec- I'm going to be recommending this movie. I recommend people will check it out, and I, I just would be interested to see what people thought of, of Don't Fall because I, I really did enjoy that one. Um, the last one is Her Only Living Son, written and directed by Karen Kusuma. Oh, wow. Yeah, and this one is about um, a boy who uh, is having some trouble at school and um, seems to be a handful. He's 18 years old. It starts off with this quick little segment of a mother talking to a doctor about saying, I've got a, or or I should say a wife talking to a doctor. And the doctor says, you know, take your son and get as far away from here as you can. And then it cuts to 18 years later. And, um, and it's the son about to turn 18. And uh, they, she, the, the, the Cora is the mother. And Cora is played by uh, Christina Kirk. And she's called to school. Her son, Andy, apparently pulled off the fingernails of a girl who is going to be the valedictorian of the class. And her, the girl's mother, we don't never see the girl, but the girl's mother is there. And she's demanding that, that uh, Cora's son, Andy, either be expelled or at least suspended because while he, after pulling off the fingernails, the girl asked why. And Andy said, cause I wanted to. Mm. So Cora, while she seems to be sort of, you know, very protective of her son, she is just as shocked when the principal of the school says, I don't know if we need to go to those extremes. Um, there are two sides to every story. We haven't heard Andy's side of the story. And the girl's mother are you, are you, is like, are you insane? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and she's like, you're going to be hearing from our lawyer and storms out. 
Cora even looks at the principal saying, you're not going to punish Andy? I, I think something needs to be done. Cora's almost like, I can't do it. But for God's sake, somebody get control here of Andy. And the principal is like, we've come to realize your son is very special. There's something very unique about your son. And it's almost as if they're saying it's an honor to be in his presence. And another teacher is there sort of parroting this. And Cora's like, what is going on here? I don't want to go any further with it than that. I don't want to sort of, I think you can maybe gather what's going on here. Where the ending of Her Only Living Son Goes surprised me. Um, I wasn't expecting it to go in that direction. But again, I liked all four of these movies. But I think the, the best two are the last two. Don't Fall in Her Only Living Son. Uh, especially from a horror fan's perspective. I think these are the two that 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 bring the horror, uh, I guess, to the forefront more. I said, like I said, with the box, it's more psychological. It does work. Birthday party is definitely more comedic. Don't fall her only living and her only living son are much more in the horror realm. Uh, and I did really like this movie. And as and I like the framing story as well. They uh, the stop motion animation just so creepy. It really is. It's almost as if it was shot in the same French apartment that the Dreamers from two thousand and three were shot in. Except instead of um, you know these these good looking French twins uh, walking around uh, with their American friend, it's a living dollhouse with a doll head attached to one of the windows <laughs> up top, looking <laughs> out at the world. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it would have changed that. It would have changed the dreamers if Bertolucci <laughs> went that way, as opposed to the way he went. Um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give XX an eight, and I'm gonna say it's a definite rental, uh, and it is available on Blu-ray. Of course, that's how I watched it. I buy everything, and um, it's for Magnet releasing. Magnet is is a uh, genre. Uh, label they put out a lot of cool stuff and i always like to support magnet whenever i can so um definitely check out xx and um uh if you like it definitely uh, buy it uh, to support magnet if nothing else what dimension films is to miramax i think magnet is to magnolia is my yes that's exactly what it is magnet is is their uh, sort of uh genre uh, label and they put out all of that cool stuff i i want to just interject real quick because I, I josh had you seen this before no, no. Yeah, I, it's it's been on my radar, but for whatever reason, I just hadn't gotten to it. I didn't even realize that Karen Kasama had a segment in it, and I was also very late to the game with the invitation as well. But that movie freaking blew my mind. So, oh yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, I am really excited. I mean, and all the way you set up all of the stories, Dave, mm. I, all of them. I'm like that. Those sound amazing. That's the strongest review I've heard of this film, Dave. Like a lot of people are kind of middling on this so yeah, I, I, I really it surprised me thank you it surprises me knowing see having seen the movie it, it i'm surprised that it doesn't have more support than uh than that because i really enjoyed it because i went in knowing those middling reviews and yeah. i'm like no i you know okay maybe maybe the birthday party isn't very uh you know horror centric it's more comedic but it's still fun but you usually have that in an anthology. You'll usually you have do. a light, a you lighter do. episode in the middle of it. Yeah. You go back to Dead of Night from the 1940s. They had a, a, a comedy one, almost like a like a comedy duo of ghosts walking around and, and mm -hmm. commenting. If I'm remembering that movie correctly. Yeah. So you get that in these type of films, but even in that, even looking at it as that, it still works. All of the stories sound amazing. Every single they one really of them. They really are. Yeah. They really are. And there might be some CGI effects in Don't Fall that you're kind of like, uh, 
all right, but it's low budget. And I think all four of them are all five, including the framing story are worth seeing. And the movie is 80 minutes and it crams all of that into 80 minutes. And uh, it was very satisfying. Just two quick things. One, we did, this came up on our 2017 Sundance coverage, as well as our horror preview for that year. That was episodes 109 and 110. So it was Kagan's reviewing it on the Sundance coverage. And then the three of us kind of talking about it as part of the preview for that year. The other thing I noticed is, so I got a little bit confused. I thought you were saying that Roxanne Benjamin had directed the birthday. Annie Clark, who is the credited director is the musician known as St. Vincent. So um, I guess that was her directorial debut. So yes. All right. So does that wrap up your feature review, Dave? Yeah, that's it. I, I say eight out of 10 and it's definitely one that, uh, that you need to see. I think. Excellent. All right. That is Dave's feature review for XX. Now we go to Wolfman's feature review for the being from 1983 in the distance the town of pottsville idaho a small town not much different from any other main street usa strange and unexplained events are occurring you say your friend was pulled out of the car by some guy in a monster what in the hell is this stuff some people are missing The only explanation I have is it's some sort of genetic freak. But why is it so intelligent? It's conceivable it can use a higher percentage of its brain. And at the same time, be completely psychotic. The ultimate terror has taken form. And Pottsville, Idaho will never be the same. So the Bean, 1983. Now, obviously, um, we're a blood diner, but I didn't come to this knowing that this film was directed by Jackie Kong. I was looking online, as I mentioned, for horror films directed by women of color, not finding anything. <laughs> and then uh, it did happen upon this one, Chinese-American director Jackie Kong. Um, she had gone to Beverly Hills High School and had studied acting and directing and she was a student of Martin Landau and Martin Landau became kind of her mentor when she was uh, in high school. And this was her first film out of high school and Martin Landau stars in the film. So that's kind of a fun thing that, uh, you know, she had this person who was kind of instrumental in helping her get into the industry was put his money where his mouth was and start in his student's film. I think that's awesome. Um, this also has Jose Ferrer, uh, Ruth Buzzy, who I know from Laugh-In primarily, <laughs> and uh, Marianne Gordon, uh, Dorothy Malone. It's a really great cast, actually, for a first film, and probably Martin Landau being in the film is what, what got all of these people on board, I would guess. Uh, it was shot and supposed to be released originally in 1980, where it was released under the title... Okay, so it was shot under the title Easter Sunday, which was another surprise because this is an Easter movie, one of the rare Easter horror films. Um, It was released in 1980 as Beauty and the Beast, (laughs) which is a terrible title for this movie, and then um, immediately shelved after the premiere and didn't actually 
get uh, any kind of real release until 1983 when it was released as the bean. So it was kind of shelved basically and uh, eventually kind of trickled out. But this was a, a really good movie for a first film, you know, and I, I think it helps. It's got a couple of these big actors in it that you're like, Oh, Jose Ferreira. This is, this is cool. Martin Landau. This is great. And, um, it takes place in a small Idaho town that was actually shot in Boise and Meridian, Idaho. And it's funny though, because a lot of the actors are clearly not local. And so this is something that always has bugged me as someone from the West, because I've lived in like places like Utah, California, Idaho, places that are kind of more rural, but in the West. And whenever these places are depicted, Washington state and Oregon, they have these Hollywood actors come in and they, because they're in a rural setting, they put on this kind of faux Southern accent. And it always has been kind of like a pet peeve of mine. Like, yes, you're in the country, but these are not Southerners. These are people from the Pacific Northwest that don't have the same accent. Like you just think anytime you're talking to a bumpkin, anytime there's a redneck, he's got to have a Southern accent. I don't know what you're speaking of there, Wolfman, (laughs) but let me just tell you something real quick here. I'm from Oregon, and I'm, I lived my whole life there. <laughs> I don't know what that is. You noticed that? That drives me crazy for some reason. No? Never, that's, you, that's never come to your attention before? Maybe it's just me. Oh, totally that, just you, 100%. No, yeah, right. I was like, okay, well, this must have been shot somewhere else. This could have been shot in Idaho. And I looked it up. Yeah, it was Idaho, but a lot of Texas accents there, faux Texas accents. <laughs> showing up so um basically what you have here is martin lando plays uh, the head of this company who one of the opening scenes is on the television news program trying to convince everyone there's absolutely no danger with dumping nuclear waste into the aquifer. I don't know what everyone is so upset about. And so part of me was like, did people just literally have no idea in 1980? I mean, they're making these mutant movies, and that's what this is. It's a mutant creature movie. So obviously people would have had some idea, but I just wonder, what was it still up for debate in 1980 that would be potentially harmful to dump nuclear waste into an aquifer? No, but let me just real quick interject this. Yeah. Three, Three Mile Island happened in 1979. This goes back uh, to my theory about Jackie Kong as a filmmaker. I think this is meant to be a satire, just like Blood Diner is. That's my theory. Yeah. Because I feel like there's no way they did that without it being tongue planted firmly in cheek. Mm, okay. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I assume the filmmakers were aware because that's kind of the whole premise of the film is that there clearly are consequences for doing that. But I wondered if the audiences at the time might be like, hmm, I wonder, like, there's a scene where Martin Landau, he's like, yes, is there radiation in the water? Of course. But look, and he's got like a Geiger counter thing. And he's like, now look, I'll wave it here over my watch. And then I'll wave it over this cup of water. He's like, yeah. There's more radiation coming from my watch than from this glass of water, which I'll <laughs> gladly drink in front of all of you. You know, it's just like <laughs> that, that, that has to be said. Like, even like if you've heard of a uh, love canal, which is a neighborhood in uh, Niagara Falls, New York, oh. infamously the location of a 70 acre landfill, which became the site of a massive environmental disaster, harming the earth, uh, the health of hundreds of residents. Uh, and that was in 1978 when I guess that kind of came to the fore. So this has to be. Well, this was like right on topic. Yes, 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 totally. 
uh, film of the moment. Well, it's good to know. Um, it was made for $4.5 million, which is shocking when you see the film. But there are, it, it starts out really slow, and your lead actor is not great. But it surprisingly gets amazing in the end. Like the whole finale sequence is like high octane. You're like, whoa, this is intense. Like it, it really takes off. You, all, you can also imagine that it may have been an inspiration for Tremors. Like there are a couple moments that feel very Tremors. Like you are dealing with an underground burrowing creature that comes up and is all slimy and can can grab people with tentacles and stuff like that. So it felt like, yeah, the Tremors folks definitely saw this film. Um, you know, they obviously were inspired by fifties monster movies as well, but I, I, th- I have to think that this was a minor inspiration at least. And uh, it's enjoyable. Like it's it, to me, this is one of those probably very few people have seen it, but you know, it's kind of like a underappreciated gem like this is the kind of movie you hope to find when you're when you've seen as many horror movies as we have and you know you love the 80s and you're you're fine with schlock you want to come across one that you're like oh like a demon wind like oh that was better than i thought it was gonna be it was kind of fun but it just has that really grungy b-movie feel and you know it's it's a lot of fun I, I think if you like monster movies, if you like a good creature feature, this is a this is a, a creature for the ages. Nice. I, this is one that I actually wanted to do when I was going through and, and trying to find the movies to possibly cover. And I saw Blood Diner, and I went through uh, Jackie Kong's filmography. I saw this one called The Being, and I was thinking at first for some reason I don't know that I thought it was a horror movie because I wasn't seeing a picture or anything. But then yeah. I think I had already. Then when I watched Blood Diner, I went back and I looked. I was like, "Oh, I wish I'd found this one." But then when it turned out, you had covered it, obviously. But I feel like the Being is the movie I was kind for me personally. I was hoping Blood Diner would be. <laughs> I think that's that's probably the best way to put it. But yeah, I, I did review this on the blog, but it was back in June of 2011. It was number movie number three hundred and fourteen. So it's go, wow. it's been a long time. I'm just That's looking at my review for the uninitiated. Right. Out of the 2,500, it was number 314. Uh, And it was actually the first time I think I had seen it. And I put that it gets off to a slow start. There's a narration. Guy says, a a small town, not much different from any other Main Street USA where strange and unexplained events are occurring. Wow. Yeah, that's telling us a lot. (laughs) The Um, the narration is so weird. What it feels like is the movie must have just been really slow during some of the portions and so they, so they threw it. it in there yeah they threw in this generic narration and it's not consistent so that's the other thing it's like right the walking down this alley and all of a sudden the narration comes in because he's a, not a good actor like i mentioned i it's funny at the end i put it has a solid supporting cast with the exception of bill osco who is draw drop droppingly awful as the heroic <laughs> detective lutz yeah. there's a scene as he's walking down the alley and the sudden it's like I could tell there was something creepy going on in this town, but I wasn't sure what. And it was, you know, it was making me uncomfortable. It's like all the things you should be reading on my face right now are being said in this narration with a blank stare. <laughs> yeah, that, that's I did. it hints at it's so bad it's good tendencies right out of the gate. There's a scene where a kid, I think, jumps into a uh, car at a junkyard. He's driving off. Yeah. Um, a creature tears his head off through the roof, pulls mm-hmm. the head clean off the body. But fortunately, the head grows back just in time for the wide shot of when the car smacks into a building. <laughs> right. 
That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's not completely so bad it's good though. It's like right on that line where it's not a terrible movie. Like it's no, not and it's I did good. have fun with it. I put yeah. I did have fun watching the Bing. But it's also not a good movie. So it's just kind right. of right on that line. Like if you like schlock, if you like creepshire features, you'll enjoy this movie. But it's not gonna be like it's not like brain damage or something where it's just like no insane. And it or, was or even I mean, Blood Diner. It's not as insane as Blood Diner by any Right. Right. It's not at that level. I mean, it was made, and I don't know if you touch on this. Maybe I know you said it's an Easter movie. Yeah. Um it was originally made in nineteen eighty as Easter Sunday. Yeah, and, and there's not a lot of Easter in this film, no. but um there is an egg hunt scene that is really good, actually. Right. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. one of the better scenes in the film. It's uh, you know, in terms of suspense. There aren't a lot of we did talk about Easter horror in the past, and holidays has a really unsettling Easter segment. And of mm-hmm. course there's like Night of the Lepus and that kind of stuff, but right. Uh and Stepfather Three. Stepfather three. Stepfather three has an Easter element to it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Not to derail your review. No, it's fine. So the bean it is an Easter film. We don't, we don't get many of those. Right. Um, it, the creature is not a very good creature, I would say, but there is some really good action choreography for this type of film. Like you, like things are moving at a much quicker clip than I would have imagined at some moments. I'm like, well, that was intense. So if you want to see where the director of Blood Diner cut her teeth, this would be. The one to check out. This also does have a Blu-ray. This one's from Ronin Flicks, and it has another commentary with Jackie Kong. So, could be a fun one to check out. Excellent, mm-hmm. and it looks like it's on Prime to rent for free. Yeah, and I watched it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, okay, absolutely. So, the Bean, I would probably give, and it's not the Bean, B E A N, by the way. <laughs> I, the I totally bean. thought that's what you said when we first got called the Bean. <laughs> um, it is. A bad movie. So, I mean, I would say it's like a five, mm. maybe 4.5 to five, yeah. but I really enjoyed it. So it's a high priority rental for me. There you go. If you like kind of like schlock or a must see. Yeah. It's another classic Wolfman review where he gives it a 4.5 or a five right. and we all want to see it in the end. So that is Josh's feature review for The Being from 1983. <laughs> All right, now let's throw it over to the Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online segment. Hi, welcome to our Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online segment. This is Wolfman, and I wanted to apologize. This is episode is going out a little late, as you've noticed. This section was recorded separately, Um We've had to do some traveling because we've had some sickness in the family. And so we've been kind of all over the map and I've been trying to get this episode together in the meantime. So I'm actually here right now with my wife and son who, if you were listeners to our old podcast movie Streamcast, you would actually recognize probably both of their voices. I know my wife Rachel has been on this podcast before as well. Mm, I can't. Maybe. Maybe. I can't remember. Pretty sure she has. Anyway, so we don't have any one single review for our Shutter-sponsored Screaming Online segment this week. Instead, I just wanted to recommend to you some films that are currently streaming on Shutter that are directed by women. Rachel, what is your favorite horror film directed by a woman? Um, I don't know any directors. Okay, perfect. So... 
you've heard our previous podcasting endeavors, we're right on track. For those who have not yet tried Shudder, it is a great streaming service that you can get for $5.99 a month or $56.99 per year. It has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. That's why we call it the Netflix for horror. This is something you can get on your Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. There are all kinds of exclusive titles currently available on Shudder. We're going to talk about one of them here in just a minute. But first, currently streaming on Shudder, we have The Love Witch. Elaine, a beautiful young witch, is determined to find a man to love her. In her gothic Victorian apartment, she makes spells. You know what? You know when you went on that little excursion with your high school friends, you actually ate at the same restaurant that they eat at in this movie. Oh, that place was amazing. It was in San Luis Obispo. At this old, I can't remember what it was called. It was like this crazy hotel that was the most elaborate decorations I've ever seen. It was just intense. Just extremely pink and ornate, as I recall from the film. We have covered The Love Witch previously on the podcast. That one's directed by Anna Biller. It's a 2017 film. I'd highly recommend people check that one out if they like something kind of artsy. Does that sound like something you might enjoy? Nah. Okay. We also have Prevenge, another film we've talked about on the podcast. That one is by Alice Lowe. A pitch black Riley British comedy from the mind of Alice Lowe from Sightseers. And she's also in um, Hot Fuzz, which we've seen her in. Prevenge follows Ruth, a pregnant woman, on a killing spree that's as funny as it is vicious. Does that sound like something you might like, Rachel? Yeah, it sounds more like my style. Yeah, I think you'd like that one, having seen it. Another one is Revenge, an English-language film from a French director, Coralie Fargette. Uh, this is about a young woman named Jen who's on a romantic getaway with her wealthy boyfriend, which is suddenly disrupted when his sleazy friends arrive for an unannounced hunting trip. This is a revenge film, really good, like crazy art house film that's also just bananas in terms of like the... You wouldn't like the gore special effects? But I think you'd really appreciate what it has to say about the male gaze. and um, It's just also beautiful to look at. The colors are so bright. And you know, we've just spent some time in the desert. It's in this beautiful desert setting. And the cinematography is so stark. I think you might enjoy that one. You want to check it out? Yes, but don't you think the director's name is Farge? I would have said Farge, but I think I actually heard an interview where she said it was Fargit. But, yeah, it could be Farge. <laughs> Uh, we have reviewed that on the show as well. And then lastly, The Ranger, which is one we've talked about on the show, directed by Jen Wexler. That's a 2018 film. This is when uh, running with the cops at a local punk show goes sideways. Chelsea and her pals flee the city in search of a place to lay low. They end up going to Chelsea's uncle's cabin in the woods, and then they're kind of uh, stalked by this park ranger who's kind of a dark figure. Does that sound like something you would enjoy? That sounds like two of your favorite things in the entire world. Well, as much as I liked the elements, that one wasn't really for me. But these are all films I'd recommend people check out. The Love Witch, Prevenge, Revenge, and The Ranger, all currently streaming on Shudder. The other exciting new thing that we want to talk about on Shudder is the exclusive series, The Deadlands, which premiered on January 23rd. If you haven't seen it, you must check it out. It features a slain Mori warrior, 
Wakanuku Rao, who's sent back to the world of the living to redeem his sins. Now, my son is here, and he has seen the original Deadlands movie that this is based on. Do you remember a wolf buddy he wants me to call? <laughs> wolf buddy, what do you think about the Deadlands as a TV series? Um, I think it's really good. Well, you haven't seen it yet, though, right? I know. I think it will be really good. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you remember in the original movie, there was a warrior who they kind of thought was a ghost warrior. He was like this old guy living in the woods alone, and um, he helped the young boy fight the other tribe. Do you remember that guy? Yes. Well, in this one, it's literal ghosts. In that one, it was kind of, they thought this guy was a ghost. He was kind of a hermit. In this one, they're actual ghosts that come back. Does that still have your interest? I think that It'll be cool to have ghosts, like, in in the movie, because, I mean, in the episodes, because if you already like the first movie of it, and if you like horror, then if you add the ghost, I think it'll be fun. Now, you and my wife and my daughter have all done a Mori Haka previously with our Polynesian dance group. Do you want to perform any of that here for us right now? What? Oh, sing it? <laughs> Do you want to? Uh, sure. Okay, and, and, um, Rachel, my mom is going to do it with me. Ready, three, two, one, go. Go, Iputa maenga tamariki e atua o So if you like the sound of that, you're going to love the Deadlands. Uh, it's very, very spooky. Now, um, the world Walker returns to is ravaged by a breach between that of the living and of the dead, as the spirits of the newly deceased now stalk the land and hunt its inhabitants. Follow Waka and his companion Mayhei as they work to close the rift and restore balance. The series presents elements of action, adventure, supernatural, and was produced with a special focus on the heritage of the indigenous Mori tribe of New Zealand. That's kind of exciting, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I'm a little bit disappointed because our friend Toa Frazier, who was Fijian and raised in Aotearoa, he was the director of the original film. And in this one, they brought in some folks of European descent who were also New Zealanders to direct the series. I thought it was kind of a bummer that having this first international Pacific Islander series, they got rid of the Pacific Islander director. I don't know, maybe he wasn't available. I know he was directing other stuff as well. But does that does that disappoint you in any way? Um Yeah, I think they should have stuck with the original director because he was Polynesian. And also I think if the first one was really good then he could make the series more like it. Yeah, I agree. But I think this is going to be good. So I hear all good things about it. I think you guys are going to like it. Once I, once I watch the whole thing, I'll let you know if you guys can watch it. Um, 
the movie was a little bit too violent, we decided, as we got into it for the kids. But that was a few years ago. You might be able to handle it now. Not sure. But The Deadlands is currently streaming on Shudder. It's a Shudder original in the United States. It's absolutely worth checking out. And it is something I'm very excited to see as a Pacific Islander. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and promo code HMP. And that will extend your regular 7-day free trial to a 30-day free trial at no additional cost to you, but it helps us out a lot. So we'd really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, so before we completely sail off into the sunset on this episode, uh, be sure to check out the Rondo Awards. We have the honor of being nominated for, I believe, the third year. The full name is the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. And if you go to rondoaward.com, that's R-O-N-D-O-A-W-A-R-D.com, you will be able to see their latest ballot for the 18th annual. Uh, it is a big, big honor to even, honestly, and I know people always say this stuff, but it really is a big honor to get nominated for this because this is the the sort of the best and brightest in the world of horror and sci-fi. A lot of classic yeah. stuff on here. They do a lot of fun awards like best restoration Blu-ray and yes. you know, best DVD extra, yeah. best interview of the year. So it's different than like what we do with the horror cinema awards, for instance. Yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's just a lot of fun, like you said. And it really, honestly, a lot of the people that they've picked, a lot of the projects that they picked, it's just kind of really cool to see HMP nestled in there uh, with all, with all that. We're in very good company. Let's just put it that way. And uh, so if you go there and you check it out, it is a very long ballot. Uh, they do it old school. You can, what I did was just to let you know is I copied it. I uh, just kind of copied everything and pasted it into a pages doc or word doc. If you're using a PC and I just went from there because there was a lot of categories I wanted to vote in. If you just are interested potentially in voting for HMP, I believe we're category 19 best multimedia site and then us and then that's the only thing I want to vote for. My guess is most people listening to this will have multiple things they want to vote for. Highlight it. You can put an X next to it. They are very open to however you want it as long as they can clearly delineate which one you picked. Uh, I think they, uh, they go with that. So totally recommend it it's actually just a lot of fun to do if you're a, a horror fan which obviously everyone listening to this is i presume uh you will just have fun finding all the different things and it also gives you ideas of other things to check out so totally uh, yeah yeah so go uh, go to rondoaward.com and uh give us a vote if you feel so inclined and we appreciate it all right i also want to throw something else out there i mentioned in the last episode how we um have an amazon affiliate account now if you need to buy anything through amazon doesn't matter what it is. DVDs, movies, streaming, that's great. Go to horrormoviepodcast.com and click on that link and we will get not even a percentage of your sales. We'll just get something from Amazon for uh, for sending you in uh, for sending you to the store. You're not going to pay a dime more than you would uh, if you just went to amazon.com. So please help us out with that. We'd really appreciate it. I just have one thing I'd like to put out there before we wrap up for the day. This show is edited for the most part. Um, If we get into doing more live shows, it will be less edited, but we'll at least have one edited show every month. And editing takes a lot of time. So, and something that I don't have a lot of time for right now. 
So I'm wondering if there are any editors in our audience who have audio editing experience. I know we have like Joe Brunette, but I don't know if uh, we can afford Joe Brunette. Um, If there are editors out there who have experience and would like to edit this podcast, we can pay you a very small sum to do so. And you'll get to hear the podcast probably a week or two early. So that's kind of fun. And and Um, all the stupid crap we by we, I mean me say before it gets edited out by Josh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so anyway, if, yeah, if there are people out there who are interested in editing, maybe you are a film student and need some editing experience for your class, let us know and we can work something out. We would love to find an editor for at least one episode per month of HMP. So just email us at horrormoviecast at gmail.com. That's horrormoviecast, not podcast, cast at gmail.com. Very quotable. Well, if I had my schlong, you'd know the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of them. That's a good one. Yeah, that's there's some there's some doozies. All right. <laughs> and that's a 1997 Miramax produced dimension, you know, movie. Right. With, with yeah. a Molly Ringwald, Carol uh, Carol Kane, Gene Triplehorn. Why is that movie not available? Right. Well, know. it's Miramax produced and I have other issues going on. For sure. With it. Although interesting, <laughs> right. I, there wasn't a Weinstein name in any of the producing titles. Interesting to note. Yeah, but they did. They did. Um, number one, they did shelve a lot of movies. And number two, uh, the rights for what's going on with a lot of the Miramax films are up in the air right now. Okay. So. And I figured it's probably it is coming down to it's that kind of stuff. It's probably more obviously money driven and it's it's more of those kinds of issues going on with a lot of these movies i mean i kind of figured maybe a night to dismember would be hard to find um sure and even blood diner i would love to know what was going if she gets on a commentary she's like yeah no i was a gun for hire and this is pretty much the script that was written and i just went with it because they were paying me that's okay all right i get it yeah. but at the same time if she's like, oh no no, that was like, you know, yeah, he wrote this, but I, you know, I was, I had carte blanche. I could do what I wanted. And I intentionally was trying to. And it could just be her taste. That might be what she likes. Yeah. That's what she's into. For sure. It's just, it's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, a little more perspective on that would be. It would be. It would be interesting. And the 2016 Blu-ray that was released does have an audio commentary with Jack. That's what I was just looking up. Yeah, I just looked it up and I was going to say a brief little uh, aside for a collector's crypt. It does have a um, commentary with director Jackie Kong, a commentary with executive producer Lawrence Kasanoff. Isolated score was selected audio commentary with composer Don Preston. Mm -hmm. Queen King, an interview with director Jackie Kong. Brother Kong. Huh? Queen Kong. That's oh, Queen, Queen Kong. I I oh, get well, it. Well, it's you know a pun. what? I'm reading. I'm reading here on um uh on Amazon. They have it as Queen King. Yeah, so Queen but, Kong. But Queen okay. Kong makes a lot more sense. It does. It makes a lot more sense. <laughs> um, an interview with Jackie Kong. Uh, Kong uh, brother Tutman. Interview with actor Carl Crew. Diner design that with the interview with the director of photography. Um. Cult movie recipes, an interview with writer Michael Sutton. There's a lot. It's, it's got quite a bit. It's got some with the makeup effects nice. guy, um, and yeah. it's interesting because this is part of the Lionsgate Collector series. Other titles in that series are Chopping Mall, Waxwork One and Two, Slaughter High, mm. Dagon, and The Gate, among oh, others. Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, the Red Shirt Pictures, the guys who produced the. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, and so mm. they do a lot of cool stuff like that. 
I did want to also mention since you brought him up, thank you for doing that, Dave. Don Preston. Uh, the guy who did the music Ooh. for this movie. I, I wanted to mention it because one of my good friends, Terry, uh, he and I used to make movies together way back in the day. He is a big Frank Zappa fan. And apparently this guy was an on and off member of Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention from 66 to 74. So uh, the, the music that was uh, was in this movie. So that was kind nice. of a cool little trivia bit. And the- also something that um, I had mentioned to you uh Joel, uh, just a uh, an exploitation director to the very end. The last movie that Doris Wishman made was at age 90 and was titled Dildo Heaven. <laughs> yes. So if you're a Doris Wishman fan, you will love this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I could say one thing about Melanie Linsky, um, she's in two things I would love to talk about. One is it's I guess it's kind of more a horror adjacent. It's more a dramedy, but there's like kind of this horror premise at the core of it. It's a amazing movie. I think it's the only Joe Swanberg movie I truly love. Uh, I kind of dislike Joe Swanberg as a <laughs> in general, but this one stars Jake Johnson and Rosemary DeWitt, and uh, it's just really cool. And it features uh, Mike Birbiglia, and it features uh, Melanie Linsky as well. And the basic premise is these people are house sitting for their rich Hollywood friends mm-hmm. in, in the Hollywood Hills, and while they're while their movie star friends are like off on vacation and then they find a bone buried in the backyard and they try to decide if they're going to dig up and look for a body there or just leave it be and just pretend it's not there. And it's just a really fun premise. And I, I really enjoyed that movie. What was the, what was the title Josh on that one? I didn't catch it. Digging digging for fire. Okay. I, I really recommend it. If you like a kind of a mumblecore dramedy with a little bit of a thriller edge to it, that, and I love uh, Jake Johnson, the actor, that's mm-hmm. a fantastic film. Mm. Melanie Linsky's in. And then also um, apparently, and I haven't seen her yet, but she is in 10 episodes of Castle Rock. So oh, yep. Oh, she certainly nice. is. She's, she's one of the, that was for season one. And uh, okay. yeah, she is really good in that as well. I, I have my issues with season one, but she's really good in it as well. Yeah. Cool. Cause Magnus, the one who released uh, some of those great earlier things like um, oh, my mind is shot. I can't believe this. Why don't I do my research? My mind goes in one direction and then I don't have anything to back it up. <laughs> um, uh, Splinter. I love that I'm on a horror podcast and I, I totally just got dismissed as a complete loser. <laughs> no, it took me a while to think of what stepfather three was, I, you know, the stepfather films are just not in my canon. So I, yeah, I couldn't even remember what stepfather was for a minute. We should like, do a franchise review of stepfather. I agree. There's only three of them. I mean, it's not that hard to, you know, Terry O'Quinn's in two of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, are they all are they all worth watching yeah I, I love them the three is like feels like almost like a, a made for tv kind of movie in a way i mean it's gorier yeah. but uh at two is actually i think for what it is shockingly good in my opinion now keep that in mind <laughs> take that with a grain yeah. of salt uh none of them would stand up to the original but they i enjoyed them quite a bit and jeff burr did stepfather two and he did leatherface chainsaw massacre three he did uh, whisper to a scream aka the um offspring that one with vincent price the anthology horror mm-hmm. so i mean it's i think it's worth watching there's something else i want to say so bad and i can't remember what it was Oh, why, why did some loser who was championing Stepfather 3 derail you? Yeah, I got a little distracted by Stepfather 3. <laughs> oh, well. 
you were talking about Easter movies, and you were talking about some of the other ones that we had discussed yeah, in the past. I had somewhere I was going, but I, I Easter Bunny Kill Kill. I'm guessing that's not it. <laughs> no. Easter Bunny Kill Kill. It might be your, the time you've spent on the East Coast, Josh, but I knew exactly what movie you were talking about when you said The Being. I didn't think The Being at all. I knew exactly <laughs> The Being, so <laughs> I think you're picking up this uh, this Eastern uh, dialect. Oh, yes. Although Josh is, uh, Josh, uh, Joel is on the East also, so yeah. but he's, I guess it's the South. Well, to be fair, I really expect whenever I hear Josh, being that he's from uh, the Utah, California area, all I hear is, how y'all doing? That's right. Yeah, you're gonna go yonder, get fix yourself a plate. Yep. Get some, get some, get some, get some, uh, get some and and it's, and al- <laughs> it's always, it's always Dub Taylor playing those characters too. Yeah, it's it's like so crazy. So my started identifying little verbal ticks that people here have in Virginia, and they, they would tell me about. It. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And then I heard, and then I was listening to our show when I was editing, and Dave has a couple of them which I'd never had picked up on before until my kids pointed them out. So how would you say if you had a pencil, Dave, and you're going to create a picture with your pencil? What would you say you were going to do? Uh, draw a picture. Did you? Yeah, draw a picture. Uh, that's that surprises me. I never heard that. A, 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 okay, I say draw a picture. Is that wrong? I say I say draw that ends with a W, but uh, here people here say drawl like a southern drawl, like it ends with. Oh a yeah, and yeah. Wash, wash is another one. My wash. mother has it. She's it's like wash. Yeah, yeah. That, my mother just flat out says wash. Oh my when she's dad, who, my dad who had a little bit of an accent, he would say. Now this is more of a. I feel like this may have been more of a southern thing with him. He would he would say Chicago, which I'm still trying to figure that one out. They would say <laughs> naked. So you y'all get naked. And, and he didn't he did sound like that. Uh, and they would always say Wal, they would say Walmarts and cereals. Like they have to end it with an S. I'm like, what? It's it's cereal. You know what do you say? Yeah. Mooses. You know the, the moose. Right, right, like, right. Walmarts. Walmarts. Yeah, funny. The version of that is they add the to everything, which doesn't make any. Never made any sense. Go to down me, to so the Walmart. Like, yeah. I'm going to go what? down to the Walmart or even like yeah. weird, especially like the university. Like, so it's like the BYU. It's like the <laughs> BYU. We say BYU. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's one thing that I've heard quite a few people say in this area, and it's mostly, I guess, my wife and her family, but it's also been outside of that. They say, we've got to dethaw that. You know, we got to get that out of the freezer. We got to dethaw it. And I feel like so, so basically you want to freeze it. Dethawing is freezing. freezing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's sort of like when people say pin number. Is it? Is it right. that, yeah. 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 It's like oh, uh, numbers in it. Yeah. 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 Number. Yeah. yeah. Right. Literally. So, what's that? so do you say Saul too? Like, oh, I saw. I, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I saw that. That's how I'll say. I say, yeah, I saw that. Um, I don't know if it sounds like to me, but he loves he loves the Saul movies. <laughs> yeah, when we were when we were sitting um, at at dinner after the um, the meetup, yeah, at the college that night, and uh, and Matt and uh, Chris Peckover were all telling me what a strong accent I have, and I'm like, geez, I, you know, I, I you don't think about that, you don't think about having an accent. Outside, because they're saying they asked, "Don't we have an accent?" I said, "No, you sound perfectly normal to me." <laughs> I was just absolutely shocked that I had an accent. Oh yeah, you have a strong accent, but my kids always imitate you too. Like, oh really? Dave, Doctor Shockbecker. Yeah, they always do. Like <laughs> imitation is the fine, finest form of flattery. Oh no, no it doesn't bother. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. None of you, they just they like it, but it, but you do have a really strong accent, but. 
Um, the, that's why it shocked me so much because Carmen, the vampire slayer, one of our listeners, who I, we did a meetup with her in Salt Lake. I mean, I did a separate little mini meetup with her and and a few other people in Salt Lake. But she's like, yeah, when I first started listening to the show, I couldn't tell the difference between you and Dave. <laughs> Like, huh? Yeah, like, that, that's weird. Yeah, you guys don't sound anything alike to me. They're so far apart. But then, but then when I have been editing now more, I do our tone of our voice is pretty similar sometimes. Right. So, and um, I think it's Jay was so sort of was was almost like ASMR. You know, <laughs> like Muppet ASMR. Like he has kind right, of like, was, a very specific and, tone to his voice that we don't. Right. It's very soothing. And, yeah, it's very Jay, right. Jay's voice is very soothing. I will say I've always wondered being that I've lived in the South my entire life. But see, Florida is weird that way because Florida, I grew up a lot in St. Pete, which is a lot of transplants. My mom's family is from Pennsylvania. And so I grew up around <laughs> them. But then I would go on every other weekend to my dad's and his family, his mother was from Louisiana. So it was the two extremes. So I always wonder, do I ever sound Southern? You sound like, you, to me, you sound like you have a California. Do I? Gnarly, dude. Not, <laughs> not Southern. Yeah, not, not Southern. No, I mean, when I say California, I just mean clean American. Nondescript. Yeah. 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 Right. California like, has its own like, stupid accent, but I'm just, <laughs> I just mean like, you know, right. the, the television announcer accent well i I, right. I it's funny because again i having been around my dad's side family they, they they none of them were quite that extreme but you know although where i live there are some people i they, they do sound like this for real yeah. you can't even understand <laughs> where to take it looks so fast and then they want to tell you about the over there you going down there going <laughs> you, you gotta fix yourself a plate over yonder with some black eyed peas and some yeah i ain't plowing yes they do I don't get that feeling from you, from you, Joel. I never get the feeling you're like oh. out in the bayou, <laughs> sitting on a porch, picking a banjo. I love with the stereotypes you're perpetuating. But what's well, hilarious to me, yeah. it's all a bunch of stereotypes. However, when I'm making all those fixing yonder black eye, like I, that they're stereotypes, but they're stereotypes for a reason. <laughs> Because <laughs> that is you're literally imagining someone you knew. That oh, was totally, one hundred percent. A lot of people I knew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So I did. Did you actually? I feel horrible. Did you, you? You said you did say your radio review. We got kind of on a. I feel like that will be an Easter egg. 